Canty and Carlin. This is Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio, ESPN Plus, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and of course on the ESPN app. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. I'm Amber Wilson. He's Nick Friedle. We are filling in for the guys. You can tweet to us at Nick Friedle, at Amber W Sports. You can also give us a call. Join the conversation. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Nick, we have to start by honoring the life of Vince. Scully. I mean, we are talking about a broadcaster whose voice defined generations, plural, of Dodgers fans. Just a remarkable career. 67 years in Brooklyn and Los Angeles. He passed away at the age of 94. You heard his voice there on the rejoin. It needs no introduction, though, Nick, because it is unmistakable, Vin Scully's voice. Amber, I'm really sad. I'm really, really sad. I have listened to Vin my whole life. I grew up as a diehard Cubs fan and idolized Harry Carey. But as soon as I learned of Vin Scully and was able to watch more of him through the years, I fell in love with the way he did the job. And I go back to I was seven or eight years old in Vero Beach, Florida, in Dodger Town. And my dad had taken my brother and I to see a game. And we were driving in the car after the game, and he stops the car and he goes, you, have got to, you guys have got to go out and go get that man's autograph. And tell him hello. And, I mean, I'm seven or eight years old. I'm trying to get a whole bunch of different players' autographs. I'm thinking, who is this guy? But it was my dad, and he told me to do it. And we walk up, and it's Vin Scully. And I remember in the deep recesses of my brain him looking at us like, what do you want my autograph for? And that's what we have heard so often in these tributes, even in the last uh, 24 hours or so. Vin never wanted it to be about him. But as somebody who wanted to be a play-by-play announcer when I grew up, and then to see the artistry that he was able to capture not only the baseball game but storytelling as a whole – it really feels like you, you've lost someone close to you. And I think that is why there are so many people, not only in Southern California, especially in Los Angeles, but all across the country today, who are just really sad because you turned on the TV, at least for me, no matter where you were. And when you heard Vin's voice, it made it feel a little bit more like home. He was the voice of baseball for Dodgers fans at a time when the voice really mattered, right? And Mm -hmm. it still matters today, but he was doing it when the voice itself just defined such a huge part of your life. I mean, if you think about, especially for, for us sitting here, Nick, I mean, sports obviously is such a huge part of our lives and frankly, probably everybody bothering to listen to us right now. Sports is such a big part of your life. And if you think about the fact that he quite literally narrated that part of people's lives for 67 years who were Dodgers fans and beyond, it's pretty remarkable to think about the impact that he had, just his voice, just being in people's living rooms and being in people's cars and bringing the game to people in person who couldn't be there in person. It's such a special relationship, I think, between the broadcaster and the listener. And at the time he did it, just defining generations. His voice is unremarkable. and, And like you said, his legacy is unmistakable as well. You're talking about a man who everybody says, as 
amazing as a broadcaster as he was, he was a better person. Amber, he was the bridge. And it was my dad who had grown up hearing him on the radio off and on as he grew up passing it down to my brother and I. I still remember after we got a satellite dish, I was lucky enough my parents got me one because I wanted to see the Cubs play all the time. And they had switched off WGN around uh, 98, and all the games weren't on WGN anymore. And I was just pleading with them, please let me watch the games. But because we had the extra innings package, you could turn on if you stayed up late at night and watch Vin. And through the years, it was so comforting to hear him living on the East Coast. I grew up in Orlando, Florida, and I would come home, and I would turn on the TV, and there he would be. And there were plenty of nights I kept that TV going and falling asleep to Vin Scully's voice. But to your point about the generations that he has connected, before he retired, I think it was 2015 in that season, I know he retired in the 2016 season, I had gone to visit my grandparents, who luckily were both still living at the time, and we sat and watched a Dodger game. And he was weaving in, it was, it was D-Day, it was the anniversary of D-Day, and he was weaving in stories from all these years ago. And my grandparents are just like, they're sitting there just enjoying the moment, and, and they're saying, I, I didn't even realize that. And he experienced it all firsthand, and the way he was able to tell the story and deliver it for years and years and years is really something special, and that is what set him apart in a field that has so many good storytellers to begin with. It's also what sets baseball apart, right, where Mm – he was narrating a sport and bringing you those stories and, and, and weaving it throughout the broadcast in a sport where he was in your home every day and because of how many games there are and how often they're playing these games. He was, he was in your home for hours and hours and hours or wherever you were watching or listening to the broadcast. And so he really had an opportunity to become part of Dodgers fans' lives in that regard and everyday lives. It's remarkable. I don't know if anybody else, frankly, is, is ever going to be able to touch Vin Scully. I mean, it's the longest tenure of any broadcaster ever with a single team in 67 years. You think about him doing it across multiple cities and markets with the same team, the changing of the generations, the way the game has changed over a 67 year period. And then he still stayed invested in the Dodgers and watching Dodger baseball, even after his retirement. So just a life so well lived. He was such a humble man. I mean, Greeny said on get up this morning, that he was the most famous man in the ballpark without taking attention away from the game. That is a beautiful way to say it. In 2016, you mentioned the year that he retired, the Dodgers went to the playoffs, but because the national TV team doesn't call playoff games, he declined an offer to be part of the national coverage. He didn't want the local, he didn't want to bring the market to national and make it about himself in those moments in the postseason. I mean, that's how humble of a man that Vin Scully was. And yet, frankly, he was the most famous person in the ballpark, right? I mean, I, I heard recently with Dodgers fans, when they're voting their Mount Rushmore of Dodgers, you're thinking players. Vin Scully, though, is always on that Mount Rushmore as a broadcaster. Amber, Michael Kay wrote a great guest column in Andrew Marchand's column uh, in the New York Post. And 
in it, Michael said, hey, this is a genius because the way he described games when he first started in his career is the same way he described games in 2016. Mm-hmm. And so so often in broadcasting, what works in one era and in one style doesn't often work in the next one. But the way Vin was able to tell a story made him something that we will never see again. And it set him up to be not only on the Mount Rushmore, but so many play-by-play broadcasters use him as the person that they want to emulate. The problem is you can't emulate Vin Scully because nobody will ever be better than he was at the craft. That is for sure. We are going to continue to honor the life and legacy of Vin Scully throughout the show. John Miller, the longtime Giants voice, he's going to join us in just about 20 minutes from now. Joe Torrey, former Yankees and Dodgers manager, he's going to join the show at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. This is Canty and Carlin, Amber Wilson and Nick Friedel filling in for the guys. Canty and Carlin is presented by Progressive Insurance, here to help you score big savings to see how much you can save on auto insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Let's get to the big story in the NFL, though. Today is Tom Brady's 45th birthday, Nick Fertel. Happy birthday, Tom Brady. Uh, I don't know about you, but I like having somebody who's still playing at such an elite level in the NFL who, frankly, makes me feel young. (laughs) I know know you aren't alone in that group, Amber, (laughs) because... There are plenty of people that are looking at Tom Brady going, 45? Okay. Like, uh, let's see what else we could still do at that age. But right? it's a credit. I've got years left in my prime. I'm That's good. Right. Look at Tom Brady. <laughs> That's you know? right. Like, let's just start eating the, the crazy diet that he's on and, mm-hmm. and really try to, uh, to do everything that he's doing. But if you're Tom Brady and you've reached this point in your career and you're still at this type of level – This goes to show you that if you put the work into your body on top of what you're doing on the field, you can stretch the norms of what we've seen in the past. And having watched Brady through the years, and Amber certainly in the last couple seasons, sounds like and looks like he takes as much pride in that as anything else he's been able to accomplish because he knows he's setting a new trend for the generation that's coming behind him. Uh, but it is a credit to all that work through all those years that he's still at this kind of level where we expect his team to contend for a Super Bowl at 45 years old. And that is definitely the expectation for the Tampa Bay Bucks this season. And what might be Tom Brady's last season with the Bucks? We know that it could have already been Tom Brady's last season with the Bucks because apparently the Miami Dolphins were going hard after Tom Brady. Maybe that whole Tom Brady retirement thing was actually a little bit of a fake retirement. Maybe he was trying to team up with Sean Payton down in Miami. Apparently the flirtations between Tom Brady and the Miami Dolphins stem back years, though, back when he was back on the New England Patriots. We found all this out because of a six-month-long NFL investigation, the result of which, of course, is that the Miami Dolphins tampered and they were docked draft picks, they were fined, the owner was fined, the owner in waiting was fined, a bunch of punishment was levied because apparently they were tampering with both Tom Brady and with uh, Sean Payton. But what was interesting to me about the Tom Brady component of this story, Nick, is remember all the dancing that Tom Brady did when he was asked about the story? Because the rumors, the reports had been coming out of Miami for months that this might have actually been a thing. Then he unretires, he goes back to Tampa. So, of course, 
Even before we knew about the NFL, the result of the NFL investigation, he was asked, dancing around this, back at OTAs, I believe the sound was from, about his potential conversations with the Miami Dolphins. Here was the Bucks quarterback back on June 9th. I mean, it's... Again, I had a lot of conversations with a lot of people, as I've had for the last three or four years in my career, about you know different opportunities when I'm done playing with football. So, um, you know, I kind of made a decision of what I'd like to do. You know, I'll be I'll get to be in the game of football, and I think for me the most important thing is where I'm at now. You know, what I hope to do for this team. That's that's been my commitment to you know this this team and organization. It's been so much fun for me to come here two years ago. It's been almost two and a half years now, and uh, it's been an incredible part of my football journey. When he made that statement, and it was not a denial, I was like, oh, snap, Nick Friedel, this story's real, right? Like, he was actually considering going to the Miami Dolphins, and it appears he wanted to be an owner-player. I don't know what that means for the future in to- of Tom Brady in terms of ownership, but uh, certainly interesting that Tom Brady might have had other plans. Amber, there are two things about that clip that make me, as a reporter, crack up. I didn't notice it the first time around, but in the background, you hear the PR person, as soon as Brady starts answering the first question about what may have happened in Miami, he goes, last question. (laughs) (laughs) To make sure that nobody was following up on anything else that was coming. But there's been so much talk through the years, not only in the way Tom Brady carries himself, but in how he's able to give his answers and try to spin things the way he wants them. That was case in point. He took the focus off the question and off the Dolphins aspect of it and spun it forward into how much he appreciated where he was in the moment. This is absolutely a guy who could run for office. Mm -hmm. Because when you start tap dancing like that in press conferences, when you know the real answer, but you're trying to spin it into a narrative that you want more, that's when you understand that somebody has a feel for how to deal with the day-to-day scrutiny that would come if he ever got into that realm. But that that was something as far as Brady was concerned because he knew that the story hadn't been out and he knew what the story was, but he wanted to do anything he could to take any spotlight off of how he was trying to answer that question in the moment. How to say something without saying anything might be more important to being a successful NFL quarterback than oh, yeah. even throwing the football, right? And because coach. and and the coach and it, it, those absolutely are cornerstones of those two jobs. You have to be able to say something without saying anything. And Tom Brady certainly perfected that during his tenure in New England. And then he went to Tampa, and we're like, "Oh, Brady, he's so fun and zany. He's got a personality." Because we saw none of it whatsoever in New England, and we all kind of fell in love with this new Tom Brady because we actually saw snippets of his personality. Well, that sound bite sounded just like old Tom Brady, dancing around it, not giving us anything, but he didn't give us the denial. And that's what always stuck out to me back then is if it wasn't true, let's be real about how that would have been handled. Then we might have actually gotten something, right? Then he would have actually just emphatically denied it. Instead, he walked around it where he says, oh, I appreciate where I am. Well, it appears that maybe you only appreciated where you were so much because apparently maybe you fake retired to try to force your way down to Miami to be a player owner. But I do think that it's interesting, though, Nick, because now we know that he at least entertained the idea of being a player owner, which indicates to me that he wants to be part of ownership one day. We know he has the monster 
television deal waiting for him whenever he wants to utilize it. But that doesn't necessarily prohibit him from also going into ownership in some manner. Are you surprised that Tom Brady would be interested in being an owner or a part owner of a team? Not at all, because Amber, when you reach the level that Tom Brady's at, widely considered the greatest quarterback of all time or in that top two or three ever, there is a certain amount of power that comes with that, and there's a certain amount of ego. And I would equate it to what we've heard from LeBron James, even in the last few years, about wanting to own a team. He wants to be not only the face of a team that he's playing for now in the Lakers or wherever he may land next, but he wants that next step to be, I run this thing, and I want to be the guy that everybody sees as the face of the next team. So I am not surprised at all by this wrinkle in the Brady story, and I think it's only a matter of time before he gets exactly what he wants. The, the question to me isn't so much is he going to be able to play and run a team at the same time. It's what happens, Amber, if he wants to walk away from that Fox deal at some point and say, I want to run a team now, I want to be the owner, and I want to be the face, and I throw this part in too. Not often through the years in the NFL has a player made the amount of money, on top of the success on the field, but made the type of money that Tom Brady has made now. He has earned so much and has that capital, both in his playing career and what he's trying to build off the field, to pull it all together and pull it off. It's going to be pretty remarkable to see what happens with these monster athletes that apparently do want to go into ownership one day. And it'll be interesting if LeBron James, like you said, is the owner of a team one day. If Tom Brady is the owner of a team one day. I don't know what that means for any changing landscape in sports. Obviously, these player owners would all have to be part of ownership groups. We're seeing it with Dwayne Wade in the NBA. I mean, we have seen it before. None of them, even with that monster television deal. Tom Brady doesn't necessarily have the money to go out and buy the team straight up, but it is interesting that that is the ultimate goal for all of these players that have done so much in their playing careers. Coming up, Vin Scully may be synonymous with the Dodgers, but it's their biggest rival that actually made him fall in love with baseball. That is after I have this word from FanDuel. Start the second half of the baseball season the right way. And turn strikes into cash and big hits into big wins with FanDuel Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to 1000 bucks. Just sign up using promo code PLAY. Place your first bet, and FanDuel will give you up to $1,000 back in match bets if you don't win. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up using promo code PLAY to get started with your no-sweat first bet up to 1000 bucks. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, 
not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Canty and Carlin. This is Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Series XM Channel 80, and you can check us out streaming on ESPN+. Plus. Amber Wilson and Nick Friedel, we are filling in for the guys. You can follow us both on Twitter at Amber W Sports, at Nick Friedel. Also, give us a call. Join the conversation on the CC call-in line. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. You can let us know what kind of impact Vin Scully had on you because we are honoring the life and legacy today of Vin Scully. I mean, one of the greatest broadcasters, Nick, of all time. I don't think that that's overstating anything. I don't think anybody would dispute that in the world of sports. Amber, when you talk to play-by-play people within the game of baseball especially – they say that there is nobody better. He was the very best to have ever done it. And that is why there's been so much of an outpouring of love uh, since his passing because he meant so much to so many different people across the game. And especially for for those fans in L.A. and in Southern California, they learned the game by listening to Vin all those years. It absolutely informed generations of baseball fans. I mean, he brought the game to generations of people over a career that spanned 67 years. And, you know, we we can talk a lot about baseball, Nick, and, and sometimes people aren't the biggest baseball fans, right, in 2022. Everybody was a Vin Scully fan. Everybody. Yep. And you didn't have to be a baseball expert to know who Vin Scully was by any means or to recognize his voice or to recognize him. I mean, he... I feel like rose so far above the game. He was so much bigger, frankly, than the game itself. And he would have never wanted anybody to say that because he was such a humble man. He, he understood that the game was the star. And frankly, that's what made him the star was that he let the game be the star. And you never felt like he wanted to be the center of attention by any means, which let's be real in our business, you know, broad game. I mean, we all got egos, right? We're in this business. So we're, you and I are sitting in front of cameras right now and we're sitting in front of microphones. But Vin Scully had this way of making you feel like he was just sitting next to you on the couch. There was a familial tone when you listened to Vin. And Amber, that's what made it so cool for so many years and so many fans. So let's bring in some help with the Vin Scully conversation. John Miller, longtime Giants broadcaster and the 2010 Ford C. Frick Award winner is joining us. And John, thanks so much for taking a few minutes of your time here. You were on the air calling the Giants-Dodgers game last night when the news broke of Vin's passing. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of Vin Scully? For me, number one, baseball and then the impeccable way that he brought the game to you 
And and I know that the the Vin Scully that we remember more recently was Vin Scully on television, although he would do the first three innings of, of those games simultaneously on radio and television. So he was doing for three innings a night a radio broadcast, in effect, on television. But such was the uh, affection that Dodger fans had for him that uh, they wanted him on the radio any way they could get him. So, for, you know, for years he would be on radio and TV both, but would switch off. He would do the first three on television, and then he'd walk down the hall to the radio booth and do the middle three on radio, and then he'd walk back down the hall and do the final three on television. And then they finally worked this method where he could do both at the same time. And uh, I always used to kid Charlie Steiner. He and Rick Monday would do the radio games when Vinny was on TV. And uh, they would just sit in their booth and keep score until the fourth inning. <laughs> so, because it was Vin's broadcast at that point. So, uh, and that, and Dodger fans wouldn't have it any other way. So uh, anyway, I, for me, Vin Scully was uh, a genius of the radio. And to hear some of his older radio broadcasts, radio only broadcasts, I think is to hear him at the height of his powers and to hear what it was that made him, so beloved in LA and as a baseball broadcaster um, for me, the uh, there's a, an album and you can find the recording of this album on, on YouTube. And it's worth taking a look at uh, from 1959, the Dodgers second year in LA, uh, they won the pennant that year and went to the world series against the white Sox. And they put out a record album of some of the highlights of that year. It's the best one of those kind of record albums that I've ever heard. They didn't just put a million highlights of, of you know, disparate moments. It was uh, certain big games and big moments, and they might play entire half innings at a time. Uh, but there's one moment, a Giants-Dodger game with a huge crowd at the L.A. Coliseum, which was a bizarre ballpark because it was shaped in an oval. It was 240 feet to the left field foul pole and a 40-foot high screen to try and contain some of the home runs. And there were, was a big girder uh, b- behind the screen where the foul pole would be that was helping hold that screen up. And there were guide wires that uh, attached to the screen. And Willie Mays hit a ball down that left field line. And it looked like it hit off the side of the foul pole. And the umpire called it a home run. And then there was big argument. And it, the, the whole thing went on for a long time. Uh, they had Mays circle the bases. Then uh, they confirmed that it was going to be a home run, and then they changed their mind, and the crew chief said there was going to be something different, and the Giants manager, Bill Rigney, came out, and, and he's going nuts, and uh, and Ben described Walter Austin uh, walking away from the thing now that it looked like they'd gotten the thing overturned, and he described him as being like a Philadelphia lawyer who has just won his case, and <laughs> it was such an incredible example of extemporaneous sports live broadcasting describing in minute detail everything about that left field uh, screen and the girder and the, the guide wires and where the ball hit and why there was confusion over it. And, uh, and I, I just thought that was Vince Scully. That is what made him uh, so beloved and so popular. And that's why he was the greatest there ever was to broadcast baseball. And in my mind that there ever will be. John, in an industry full of talented people, 
and and really strong storytellers. What was it about Vin that always made him stand out from everybody else? I always remember when I was a kid, 1962 was the first great Giants-Dodgers pennant race that I remember. I was 10 years old that season. And and through much of the 60s, the Giants and Dodgers had many great pennant races. The Dodgers were on a very powerful radio station. In those days, neither team did any television at all except in the other's ballpark. So in 1962, the Giants televised nine games from L.A. The Dodgers did the same, just the nine games from San Francisco. Otherwise, it was a total radio sport. The Giants played mostly day games. And I always thought, because I guess Candlestick was so cold and windy, and so in September, the Giants game would be over, having been played that afternoon. The Dodger game would be that night. And they were on a very powerful station, a 50,000-watt clear channel station that came into the Bay Area where I lived, uh, like a local station at night. So I would tune in then. And my first memory as a 10-year-old is uh, there would be a home run, and Ben would say, you know, a way back, and she's gone. And, and I remember thinking, because we had Russ Hodges, uh, who would say, tell it bye-bye, baby, and you get goosebumps. And Lon Simmons, you know, tell it goodbye, and you get goosebumps. And I heard that as a 10-year-old thinking, that's it? That's all you've got in a home run call? No wonder you're working in a jerkwater town like L.A. You'll never get out of that town with that stuff. And years later, when I kind of grew up and got a little more mature, <laughs> I, I realized that was the only thing I was actually right about as a 10-year-old. He was still there, still working in L.A. <laughs> but uh, the, the thing that I came to appreciate was, uh, and I had a chance when I was just starting college, and I had a long drive from Oregon to my grandmother's house back to the Bay Area, and I tuned in the Dodger game. And I heard the whole game from start to finish. Not a game that I had particular interest in, Dodgers-Cubs, but he was uh, giving you all this information about the game that made it fascinating I became interested in the Cubs shortstop that night. Don Kessinger, he told the story about how after he had gotten to the big leagues, he became a switch hitter and why and who inspired it and how it kept him in the big leagues. And he was not a good hitter just as a right-handed batter. And when he could start swinging left-handed, uh, he became a much better all-round hitter. And that's what kept him in the big leagues. And he became a perennial all-star shortstop as a result. Now, now I'm fascinated with Don Kessinger, and I'm just totally uh, enraptured in, in the story of this player, who was not a Dodger player, uh, but that Vin Scully was telling. And that was something, I think, characteristic. It never seemed to get in the way of his description of the game. Bob Costas and I, years later, uh, we, we started kidding each other that players must have had such great respect for Vin Scully that they never hit a ball off the left field wall with men on base until Vinny finished his story. Because we, we both kind of looked at each other and said, how many times you start a story and before you're finished and before you get to the punchline, a guy hits one off the wall and there's runners running all around the bases and they're going to make a pitching change. And that never seems to happen to Vinny. And we were kidding each other about it, but we also knew full well that uh, that was not an accident, that, that Vinny had such impeccable uh, timing and a, a feel for the game, not just what that was unfolding in front of him and when a, a, a well-timed story would be apropos. And that was the other part, that he was brilliant as a storyteller, but the stories always related to what was going on in the game. It wasn't something that he 
planned earlier that afternoon and was looking for a way to, to, you know, force it into the broadcast, something happened. And then he had a story that was the perfect story to go along with that. Uh, But he also seemed to have that sense of timing and knowledge of the game to know this may be not a good time for that story, although it would be apropos because this particular hitter, something is liable to happen right now to turn this game around. So it was more a question of refraining from telling the story based on what was going on in the game. And I think nobody had a better sense of timing for that sort of a thing than Vin Scully. And uh, that's why he was able to weave very seamlessly these stories in and out of the play-by-play with one never getting in the way of the other. And that was what made it an, an art form in my mind. He was an artist when it came to his broadcasts and even a better person by everyone's account. John Miller, longtime Giants broadcaster. John, thanks so much for joining us. He was, for me, the best there ever was. And I think the best there will ever be, uh, the great Vin Scully. And we miss him. We do. We absolutely do miss Vin Scully. We will continue here on Canteen Carlin to honor the life and legacy of Vin Scully. But coming up next, Nick is here. So we've got to get a Kevin Durant update. And yes, there is an update. So stay tuned. This is ESPN Radio. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Canty and Carlin. Is it fair that Matt LaFleur is taking out his frustrations on the poor jugs machine? It's just out there. It's feeding the footballs into the air. It's doing its job, Nick Friedel. Amber, my part that I think Matt's going to regret a little bit is then at the very end calling out the equipment staff because those are the last people on a team you really want to upset, but... That is the first time I have ever heard the jugs machine get a call out for pretty much anything by a coach. Uh, he could not have been happy about it, but <laughs> this is a perfect, perfect story for the first week of August. I just love, well, first of all, it's that. I mean, thank you for the content, Matt LaFleur. Let's be honest about what's happening here on August 3rd. Okay. Uh, listen, tough sledding. We got four hours to fill. 
Also, though, uh, I do love the idea that the frustrations are just so high in the dog days of summer here in training camp that it's the jugs machine, though, that's catching the head coach's shrapnel. Like the ju- like, so is, do you have LaFleur like yelling at the jugs machine as it's feeding out the footballs in a way that he doesn't agree with? Is this just him taking the pressure off of his players who are, you know, supposed to be catching those footballs? What are we doing here? Uh, Yeah, he's just a little frustrated to start camp. But the thing that also got me, Amber, is he's like, if anybody would like to donate a jugs machine, I mean, I'm sure all the Packer fans out there in the world would be happy to bring one to the office, but the Packers have so much cash, they can do whatever they want. So I have a couple in my garage. Just, you know, (laughs) I I just keep some jugs machines because every once in a while, I mean, who doesn't want to simulate catching a punt, right? Yeah, there you go. You just have to have a jugs machine on hand just in case. And if the jugs machine isn't simulating these balls in the air to the proper degree, then the jugs machine needs to get the axe. I'm going to go donate my jugs machine to Goodwill. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Canty and Carlin. This is Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 80 on the ESPN app, also on ESPN+. Plus. Canty and Carlin is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. Amber Wilson and Nick Friedel hanging out, filling in for the guys. You can give us a call. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Now, Nick Friedel, he covers the Brooklyn Nets for ESPN. He's very embedded in the basketball world. I made fun of Nick a little bit yesterday because the A block on NBA Today was leading with the Russell Westbrook agent switch, right? Because right now... We are in August in the NBA, and there ain't much happening. But there's a big name, Nick, that's been hanging out there in Kevin Durant. He set the world on fire, what was it, six weeks ago when he requested a trade? And now six weeks later, are we supposed to just think that Kevin Durant isn't getting traded? Like, what is happening? It is so quiet on the NBA front. Amber, nothing's happening. (laughs) That's the problem. Nothing has changed. On this particular storyline with Kevin, and I can tell you that it is hovering over everything the Nets are still trying to do as an organization. I know there was a report from Heavy.com that said he was going to meet with Nets owner Joe Sy this week. The reality, though, and that everybody needs to keep in mind, when you talk to people all across the league, they think that this is going to stretch well into training camp and potentially into the season. So when you're trying to diagnose what the issue is and why the Nets aren't moving faster, the Nets don't like the offers that are coming their way. So it really boils down to Kevin Durant saying to the Nets, I want out of here. And at this point, he's given no indication that that is what he is pushing for before the season begins. 
It is from Heavy Sports, the update that we got, which is the only update that we've gotten on the KD situation in a long time. And the update quite literally, literally is, uh, according to sources, KD is going to meet with Josai. Like, that is the update. I, we don't know what they're going to talk about. We don't know if they're just, you know, hanging out. Maybe they're exchanging baseball cards. Like, I have no idea what that meeting is about. But theoretically, he is going to go meet with the owner of the Brooklyn Nets. I don't know if it amounts to anything. I think right now everybody in the NBA, like you told me yesterday, is on mega yachts in the med. So nobody's <laughs> answering their phone. So no deal is getting done right now for Kevin Durant. But if one does, we will keep you updated. We will also keep you updated about Tua Tungavaloa in Miami. Is he the answer? Check out Canty and Carlin. Weekdays on ESPN Radio and on ESPN+.